What's up, New Hope Church? Hope you guys are doing well. It is early in the morning, and uh, I am headed out to Guatemala with 24 New Hopers on a Hope Missions trip, and uh, we covet your prayers. We're basically heading up into northern Guatemala. We're going to be working in schools. We're going to be working in homes. We're going to be working in communities and villages. We're going to be spending entire days with uh, families, pouring into them, praying with them, ministering to them in the name of Jesus, and we really covet your prayers. Hey, I want to just celebrate one incredible day, and I want to say to all of the Hopetown staff at all of the campuses, thank you, thank you, thank you for doing a fantastic job, and uh, we can celebrate what God did yesterday in the lives of so many children, and I'm celebrating and praying for what God is going to do today at all of our New Hope campuses. Hey, you are in great hands today with the worship leaders and the, and the staff throughout the campuses and our executive pastor, George Franco, who is going to be bringing a word for you. And uh, hey, I just want to say I love you. Have a fantastic Sunday. Pray for us and uh, know for sure that the 24 people with me, the new hopers that are taking off to Guatemala, any second now we are about to board the plane and depart. We are praying for you today. Have a fantastic Sunday. All right. Welcome, New Hope Church. How are you guys doing? Everybody good? Yes. Let's welcome all of our campus locations across North Carolina, South Carolina, Kenya. And if you're watching online, I'm excited that you're joining with us today. Hey, I want to take a minute and I want to bring you guys up to speed on our North Raleigh campus. Today, we're celebrating their last Sunday in their current location on Meridian Drive in North Raleigh. It's been an amazing three years. God's done some awesome things there. We've seen people come to faith in Christ. We've seen people baptized. We've seen relationships reconciled. God's been on the move doing great things. But if you've been to our North Raleigh campus, it sits in the middle of an industrial park. And there's a bunch of churches that are gathered around it, and it doesn't quite feel like we're in the community the way that New Hope Church loves to be part of our communities. And so guess what? God is moving us to Heritage Middle School next weekend in Wake Forest. It'll become our Wake Forest campus, and we're excited about that. Yes, let's celebrate that. And so here's what I wanna ask our church to do, uh, no matter where you live, but especially if you live close to Wake Forest area, over the next several weeks, would you consider going on mission with our Wake Forest campus? Help them transition from North Raleigh to their new location on 3400 Rogers Road, Wake Forest next weekend. Stay with them for a couple of weeks, especially if you live in the Wake Forest area and you don't attend our new campus there. If you'll go there, you can tell people about it. You can point them to a New Hope expression inside their community where we can reach, teach, and release people for the glory of God, all right? So we're excited about that. Can we celebrate our North Raleigh campus one more time? Yes. So yesterday, if you weren't in tune with what was going on at all of our campus locations, we had camp. And uh, some people were like, well, isn't that vacation Bible school? And I was like, no, it's camp. It was on steroids. There's bouncy houses and superheroes and people running around with masks and there were games that were being played. It was incredible. I personally served a couple hundred snow cones here at the Durham campus. It was insane. All these kids want all the flavors. Uh, in, in my day and age, it, we would just mash all the flavors into one cone. That's what they still like today. It was awesome. 
So, you know, what was crazy about this camp is that we called it one incredible day, discovering the superhero within you. And we timed it, our Hopetown team timed it with the movie release of Incredibles 2. Now, how many people have seen Incredibles 2 at all of our campuses? Yeah, I see hands going up everywhere. I'm sure at all of our campus locations, people have already been out to see it. It's taken the box office by storm. And if you have no idea what this movie is about, then here's a quick snapshot. I won't give anything away, I hope. I don't think I'll give anything away, but there's this husband and wife who have superheroes and they have kids and they find out their two oldest kids have superpowers as well. And so they have a baby, Baby Jack, and in Incredibles 2, they find out that Baby Jack has all kinds of superpowers. Baby Jack has laser eyes. His eyes can turn into lasers. Baby Jack has the ability to burst into flames. Baby Jack has the ability to multiply himself all over the place. Baby Jack has the ability to turn into this ferocious demon baby. Now, if you're a parent out there, you're like, those aren't superpowers. Those are the terrible twos. My kid went through that too. I think it's Jerry Seinfeld who said it this way. He said, hey, the the two-year-olds is like having a blender at home without a top on it, right? (laughs) You hit the button, it goes everywhere. And so you'll find this out about Baby Jack. It's, an, it's a funny, funny movie if you have the chance to go see it. But we timed this uh, camp with this release of this movie and to try and make that connection with kids. That everybody wants to be a superhero at some point in their life. And it's not really the superhero that we want to be. It's those superpowers. If you looked at the video clips that you saw from your campus locations, you saw that a lot of the kids by the end of the day were wearing capes. Like when I was a kid, we wanted to fly too. Like that was the coolest thing. It was freedom, right? And I also think it's an early indicator of what it was gonna be like to be an adult and have to drive through traffic, right? Like we wanna, we wanna jump right over it. We wanna get to our destination as fast as we possibly can. And so uh, incredible, One Incredible Day was this awesome opportunity to show kids where these superpowers actually come from. But when we talk about this idea of flying, it reminded me when I was a kid, my best friend lived way out in the country and Indiana's really flat, but his house was on the only hill. And it was a steep, steep hill. In fact, you could come out of his garage in the wintertime with an inner tube and set it down right outside the door and go straight down this hill. And the only thing that would stop you was a fence that was about 200 yards away. It was the best place in the wintertime to go tubing. And so uh, we loved going over to his house, but here's the interesting thing about his house. You could crawl out of his bedroom window and onto their garage roof, which looked straight down the hill. Now, in the summertime, it was really cool because you could look out over this valley kind of and, and see everything when it's nice and green, it was pretty, it was gorgeous. You could see animals, you could see some ponds and creeks, and it was really fun. So we used to go out there on the roof all the time. But this day, we crawled out on the roof with his little brother, Scott. And uh, we love to give Scott a hard time. And we got Scott out there and we're looking out over the valley and we said, hey, Scott, you know what? You could be a superhero. And Scott's like, I can? And we're like, yeah, you know, you can fly. Did you know that you could fly? And he was like, no, I didn't know I could fly. We said, all you need is a cape. So we crawled back in the bedroom window. We grabbed an Afghan blanket. We tied it around his neck, walked him to the edge of the roof and said, if you jump, you can fly. And Scott looked down and he took one giant step and he jumped and he went about two feet out 
and went straight down like a rock. He went all the way to the bottom of the hill, tumbling in this ball of twisted cotton with a blanket. And we were like, uh-oh, we're gonna be in trouble. <laughs> Scott can't fly. He doesn't have superpowers. <laughs> and Scott realized really quick that it was, there's more to being a superhero. You really have to have superpowers to become a superhero. And so, one incredible day gave us this idea as we began to look at superpowers that when we look at superheroes, it's the person that has the power that gives us something that we don't have on our own. And we wanted the kids to know that. Like there's something missing in our life. To be a true superhero, there's a power that you don't have yet, but where could that power come from and how could you get it? And so today, as we have a little bit of time together, what I want us to do is explore this idea. We all need someone who can, who can do what we can't do on our own. We all need someone who can do what we can't do on our own. And God knew that we were gonna be lacking this power. God knew that there were gonna be things in life that we couldn't do on our own, that we were gonna need someone to step in, a superhero with a real superpower. And he tells us about it in his word, the Bible. And here's where I want us to tune in today in Matthew chapter 14. So if you have your Bibles, your phones with you, go ahead and turn to that. If you don't have a Bible with you, check the verses out on the screen. We're gonna follow along together. It's a simple, quick story about a superhero with real superpowers. So we tune into Matthew and we see that there's this person named Jesus and he's claiming to be the son of God. He's come down from heaven to earth and he's moving about and he has what people say are superpowers. They're seeing him do amazing things. And he shows up this day in Matthew chapter 14. He shows up on this part of land and there's a crowd that's gathered and Jesus uses his superpowers of x-ray vision. That's what I would say it is. And he's looking inside of people and he can see what their need is. He can see what's hurting. He can see what their fears are. He can see the things that have them anxious at the moment. He can see what their, uh, what their problems are of the day. And Jesus can move inside of that. And so Jesus, as he begins to look at a big crowd, much like we're gathered at our campuses today, Jesus looks inside of that and begins to say, oh, there's illness here. There's sickness around me. And he begins to touch people. And through the power that he has from God, he begins to heal people. People that had been sick for a long time all of a sudden are healthy again. People who couldn't walk, people who couldn't hear, people who couldn't see. Jesus touches them. He sees them. He knows them. He touches them. The power goes from his body into them from God and heals them in the moment. And the crowd gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And by accounts, they say the crowd was well over 5,000 people. As the day goes on, the people get hungry and Jesus notices it. It's been a long day. There's a lot of things going on and people are hungry and Jesus says, hey, we gotta feed them. And, and the disciples, his, his followers, the people that were trailing him around said, hey, Jesus, just let them go down the street and buy their own food and let the day be done. And Jesus says, but their need is that they're hungry. And the disciples say, but there's no food. So this little boy weasels his way through the crowd and his mom probably packed his lunch that day before he headed off into the crowds. And he shows up and he says, well, I've got five loaves and two fishes. And the disciples are like, that's crazy. There's over 5,000 people here. And Jesus says, that's not crazy if you have a superpower. And so Jesus reaches down and he lifts up the, the bread and the fish and he prays over it. And the power that God gave to Jesus, he multiplies five loaves and two fishes into enough food to feed 5,000 people and have leftovers. 
And we see Jesus, the superhero, use his superpower to save people. And when you're a superhero and you save people, you save the day. And so after this long day, we pick up in Matthew chapter 14, verse 22, and this is what happens. It says, immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him and to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone and the boat was already considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. So Jesus does kind of what every superhero does in those superhero movies that we watch. Like Superman, he fights the villain, right? And as soon as he's done and the day is saved, he retreats to a place of quiet and solitude. Jesus does the same thing. He puts the disciples in the boat, he dismisses the crowd, and he goes off to a place to pray and to get recharged and re-energized by his father. Well, while the disciples are out on the Sea of Galilee, and here's a picture of the Sea of Galilee. I want you to see, get a little perspective of what the sea is. If you live here in North Carolina, in central North Carolina, you probably know this place called Jordan Lake. Jordan Lake has 30, or Jordan Lake has 180 miles of shoreline. This is the Sea of Galilee. It has 33 miles of shoreline. So Jordan Lake is about five times the size of the Sea of Galilee, and you'll see that the beach here is really rocks. And if you look off into the distance, you can see how hilly and mountainous it is all around. Now, the Sea of Galilee kind of sits up in the northern part of Israel, and uh, the wind blows across Israel and comes up over these mountains, and it picks up speed and comes down and hits the surface of the water, and it begins to churn it rapidly. And so you can't tell when a storm's going to rise on the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is a place of commerce. It's a place of life. Everything kind of emanates around it. If you are interested in looking at the life of Jesus and what happened in the gospels, you'll see that a lot takes place around the Sea of Galilee because it brings life. It's 84 feet deep and full of fish. It's still fish today to provide a living for people. Jesus puts his disciples on a 15 foot little wooden boat and sends them out to cross the Sea of Galilee and a storm begins to brew. The winds begin to blow, the waves begin to churn. And this is what we see. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. Now, it's funny to me that I'm out on a lake and there's this storm that's beginning to brew and I look out across the water and I see something walking towards me on top of the water and my first instinct is to say it's a ghost when I just saw a guy take five loaves of bread and two fishes and multiply it. I would think that my first instinct would be to say, oh my goodness, it could be Jesus. That could be Jesus. I bet it's Jesus walking towards us. Instead, they're like, it's a ghost. I think it's a ghost that's coming to us. And so they, they cry out to Jesus in fear. But it says this in verse 27, but Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I, don't be afraid. And the response is, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, Peter's one of these disciples that's sitting in the boat. He said, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. 
And so there's a moment when Peter recognizes that it's Jesus. He says, okay, it's kind of like what happens in every movie when a superhero does something super. We can't really believe our eyes. We can't really believe what happened. And so Peter's just testing this moment. He's like, okay, if this is the superhero that I saw, take the fish and loaves and multiply it. If this is a guy that has that kind of power, then he could give me that type of power too. And I could walk on water. And so he says, if you're really Jesus, show me, prove to me your superpowers. And Jesus says, okay, there, come. And so Peter jumps out of the boat and he starts walking towards Jesus. But as he starts walking towards Jesus, all the things around him, his environment around him begins to overwhelm his mind and his focus on the person with the superpower, the strength to bring him across the water to him begins to fade. And Peter begins to feel the waves churning and chopping. And, and all of a sudden he remembers, that, oh my goodness, the Sea of Galilee is like 84 feet deep. And, and it's dark out here and it's cold. And then Peter begins to think, I can't walk on water. I've never done this before. And all these insecurities, these inadequacies begin to hit Peter's mind. And as he begins to lose focus of the power of the superhero, Peter begins to sink down into the water and fear overwhelms him, insecurities overwhelm him, his inadequacy as a person overwhelms him. I can't do this, this is bad, this environment's horrible, there's no hope. And Peter becomes hopeless and begins to sink. And he was afraid. And fear is this incredible mechanism that's been put inside of our bodies. We all experience fear. And I believe that God has put fear inside of us to remind us of danger. And I think we all experience fear because God's telling us there's danger. There's danger. You need someone who, who can do for you what you can't do on your own. There's danger in your life. You need someone who can do for you what you can't do on your own. And that's the moment where Peter realizes I can't do this on my own. I can't walk across the waters. I can't fight the churny seas. I can't go against the wind. I can't bring light into the middle of this darkness. It's super dark and scary out here. And it's the moment that he cries out to Jesus and says, I need someone to do for me what I can't do on my own. Jesus, will you save me? And this is what the passage says. It says that immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, why do you doubt? And as Jesus grabs his hand, the verse goes on and says, when they climbed in the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshiped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. <clears throat> Jesus rescues Peter from death. And he says to Peter, he encourages him and he says, hey, you can be confident. No matter how dark it is, no matter how strong the winds may blow, no matter how deep the sea or the situation in your life may be, with me, you are okay. Your fears are calmed. The power that Jesus has is the power that I give to you. And when we're together in the presence of Jesus inside the boat, there's safety. There's no reason to be afraid. And in life, we find ourselves in, in these places where <clears throat> the environment begins to overwhelm us, where we turn to drugs or alcohol or relationships to bring us the comfort that we really want. We're looking for someone to comfort us, where the words of a doctor over the phone and he says, cancer, the wind just started blowing. 
When you pick up the phone and you hear there's been an accident, the sun just faded out and it got really dark. When you find out you didn't get into the school that you really wanted to go to, you begin to wonder, am I good enough to take the next step to go to college, to achieve what I've always dreamed of achieving? The sea just got a little bit deeper. And those are the moments where fear begins to set in and begins to control us. And Jesus knew that that was gonna be a problem for us. And he looked across all of humanity in the present time where he was with Peter and the disciples inside the boat. And he looked to today and he looked to everybody who would live in the future. And he said, this fear thing is a problem. And the problem is they're not in the boat with me. They haven't cried out and taken my hand. They haven't realized the power that I have, that I will give to them, that I can calm the storm, that in the presence of me, there is real comfort because we've been absent from God. We've been separated by him. And so Jesus looks at all of humanity and says, I have a way that I can solve that. If, if mankind would stop saying I can do it on my own, see, there's probably a moment where Peter stepped out of the boat and was confidently like, I can do this. He's doing it, I can do it. And there's probably that first step and he's like, yeah, I got this. And the sex, second step was like, oh, yep, this is gonna happen. And the third step, all of a sudden, he began to say, I don't know if I can go any further. I'm getting farther away from the boat and I'm getting a little bit closer to him, but this storm's pretty bad. And so... Oftentimes in our lives, we say, well, if we worked a little bit harder, if I accomplished a little bit more, if I could just make it to that position, I could control the circumstances and the environment around me and things would be better. If I could just make this one thing happen, I wouldn't fear anything anymore. Everything in life would be much better. We try and control, control, control. We wanna control the outcomes in life, but the only one who has the power to do that is Jesus. And so I just really quickly, if you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 15. But if you don't, I encourage you this week just to go read it. If you don't believe the words that I'm gonna read to you, I just wanna tell you this story of what Jesus does for us next. So after he calms Peter's fear, he goes and has this life of healing and caring for people. He is the life of a superhero. He has superpowers, powers that no one else has ever seen to this day. He's healing people, caring people. He's making miracles happen. He turns water into wine at this, this amazing party. He's doing all these incredible miracles. But he comes to a moment where he says, hey, if I wanna rescue not only the people who are in front of me today, just like I reached my hand down and pulled out Peter, I'm gonna have to do something bigger to rescue people for all of eternity. And so in Mark chapter 15, we read the story of what Jesus does. Um, he goes to the cross, he's crucified, he's killed. And this is what it says. And they crucified him, dividing his clothes. They cast lots to see what each person would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him and the written notice of the charge against him read the king of the Jews. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachne, which means my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there's this moment where darkness comes in, where it looks like hope is lost, but Jesus is standing on the cross and he's taking all those moments in life that are coming your way where you're fearful, 
where you're afraid because you don't have the presence of God. You've been separated them by sin, by taking control of your own life, by the pride that sits inside of us that says, I can do it on my own. I don't need anybody else to help us. But deep down inside, we have a fear that says, I need someone to do for me what I can't do on my own. And Jesus sat on a cross saying, I'm doing for you what you can't do on your own. And when he cries out to God and says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's not angry or mad at God. He's feeling the weight of all those fears, all of that sin and disobedience, all of the pride that all of humanity for all of time would have. And he bears it for us. And it says, when some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. So someone ran and filled a sponge with wine and vinegar, put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes and takes him down, the person said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last breath. The centurion of the temple or the curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood in front of Jesus, the guard who had been standing watch over Jesus, saw how he died, the scripture tells us, Matthew tells us in this passage, surely this man was the son of God. Isn't that incredible? That a guy that just watched a superhero die would look at him and in the way that Jesus died, said he is a superhero. He has superpowers. I believe that he is the son of God. And then we see the rest of the passage say this. When three, three days go by, it says, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices to the place where Jesus's body was laid. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, on their way to the tomb, and they ask each other, who will roll, roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? You see, they took Jesus's body off the cross. This guy, Joseph, comes to uh, Pilate and says, hey, I wanna take his body and I wanna bury it. Is it okay? Pilate actually checks and says, hey, is Jesus really dead? He wants to make sure that he's dead. And they're like, yeah, he's, he breathed his last breath. It's over, you can take him away. And so Joseph goes and puts him in the tomb and they wanted to make sure that there were no questions. So they take a mask of stone and they roll it in front of the tomb, they seal it and they put the most intense um, guards in front of it. I mean, these were the Navy SEALs. These were the bad guys of the army at that point and they put them in front of it. And so Mary, is, uh, Mary and Mary are saying to each other, hey, who's gonna take that stone and roll it away so that we can embalm his body? And so as they approached the tomb, it says that they looked up and they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go tell his disciples, and this is interesting. It says, go tell his disciples and Peter. <laughs> Maybe the angel had this idea that Peter had this hard time believing that Jesus was a superhero, that Jesus had superpowers. And he says, and tell Peter, his, Jesus is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. It's interesting to me that he brings Peter's name up and then he tells the women that Jesus is going ahead of you to the place where Peter had this experience with Jesus. There's nothing to fear about a superhero with superpowers like Jesus because he cares for you. 
He came here to save you. And he's bringing Peter back to the first place of comfort. We're in the midst of the storm when things felt like they were desperate and all was lost. Jesus reached down and rescues Peter and brings him into the boat, a place of comfort. It all happened in the Sea of Galilee and Jesus is going back there. And so we see this picture where Jesus defeats death. That's a superhero. That's a real superpower. No one's ever done that before. And we see in the days after that hundreds and hundreds of people experienced Jesus walking on earth. They saw him hung on a cross. They saw a spear thrust into his side. They'd seen him taken off the cross. They knew that he had been placed in the tomb, but he's standing in front of them, talking to them. He's having breakfast with them on the shores of Galilee. The place where they've seen him walk on water, he's standing in front of them. A superhero with superpower defeated death. No one's ever done that. And Jesus did that for all of humanity because he said, I'm taking away all of your fears. I'm gonna eliminate your fear, your separation of God so that you can have comfort and peace and life for the storms that come. And so for all, for hundreds and thousands of years, People have put their faith into Jesus. There's nothing more to fear. They cry out to Jesus and say, rescue me. I can't do it on my own. Life's too difficult. Life's too hard. Jesus, save me. Jesus, I need your presence. I need your comfort with me. And people for generations and generations have put their faith into the power of Jesus that comes from God who does for them what they can't do on their own. Several years ago, I have a friend of mine. His name is Clark. And um, I had an opportunity to hire him back onto a church staff that I was working for. And I was really excited about um, having Clark on staff. We'd become really good friends over the years. Clark had been a bachelor all of his life. We never thought he would get married. He was just one of those guys, right? And uh, he went away for a little bit. And right before he came back, he met this beautiful lady and they got married. Her name's Lisa. And uh, they joined our staff. And six months later, Clark was diagnosed with bladder cancer. And... Clark felt the winds begin to blow. He felt the sky darken a little bit. The moment in life where he'd finally met his bride and life seemed to be going good and he was doing ministry, he loved students, he was caring for students in such a great way, he began to feel the turbulence of the water, the depth, how deep the water really was. Clark and I began to pray and he went through several types of different treatments and uh, months later, the doctors came to him and said, it's terminal, there's nothing we can do you're gonna die. And uh, Clark and Lisa began to pray about it. And they came to me and they said, hey, I don't know if this is okay, but this is what we wanna do. And I said, what's that? And they were like, we wanna fly to Mexico. There's a place down there doing some alternative treatments. And we think there's a really good opportunity that God might use that to extend Clark's life. Do you think that's okay for us to do? And I said, I think you can do whatever God tells you to do. And so they asked me if I would come over and pick up Clark and take him down to the Charlotte airport. And so my wife and I, we went over there. Clark had lost so much weight, he couldn't get out of bed. And he was in the second floor of their home. Their bedroom was upstairs. And so I went up to his room and I said, hey, Clark, buddy, how are you doing? He's like, good. He's like, "Um, with grace and humility, he looked at me and he said, I can't walk on my own. Can you do for me what I can't do on my own? And I reached under with my really good friend and picked him up, (laughs) carried him down the stairs like a newlywed in some ways. We laughed and joked about it all the way. 
placed him in my car, buckled him up, got his wife and their suitcases loaded. We got down to the Charlotte airport. We got there and we realized that it was a super busy day. I mean, it was packed at the Charlotte Douglas airport. And so we pulled up front. My wife went to park the car. I got him out. We got him a wheelchair. We got through uh, TSA and we got all the way down to Concourse B, if you've ever flown through the Charlotte airport. And, just, and we got down there and I was like, oh, we got a little bit of time. I was a hot, sweaty mess because it was really crowded. And I took a deep breath. And I said, we got time, everybody can relax. Does anybody need water or anything? And Clark looked at me and goes, I need to use a restroom. And so I looked at Lisa and I said, I think there's a family restroom right over here. Cause Lisa said, you know, Clark can't go to the bathroom on his own anymore. He needs help. And I'm like, well, there's a family restroom. Let's go over here. So we got over there and there's somebody in there and the door was locked for a long time. They probably had a two-year-old in there, I'm sure. <laughs> and Lisa looked at me and goes, do you think you could take Clark to the bathroom and the men's room? And I'm like, sure, yeah, we're friends. It'll be good, right? And so I rem- I'll never forget it. Uh, first bathroom on the left side, Concourse B. And I wheel Clark in with the wheelchair and the bathroom is jam-packed. Guys everywhere, suitcases, bags, guys are messy anyway. And I'm like, we're never gonna find a stall. And so I, I roll him all the way to the end of the bathroom and we get to the last stall and it's the handicap stall. And guess what? It was open. And I'm like, thank you, Lord, right? Because that's the stall everybody wants to go in and unpack their stuff. So I get Clark inside of there and, and I'm like, hey, like, this isn't awkward. We're friends. I love you. You love me. We'll make this happen. And so, so I help him get his sweatpants off and um, we work together to get him up over the wheelchair and onto the toilet. And, and that was awkward at that point because now I'm standing in there and I'm looking at the ceiling. <laughs> counting ceiling tiles. And I'm starting to wonder like, what does, what does everybody else in the bathroom think, right? Cause like there's two guys in a handicapped stall in a busy airport. And so Clark goes, hey, I'm done. And I'm like, great. And so I helped pull up the sweatpants and I said, hey, on three, I'm gonna lift underneath you. I'm gonna pick you up. And like, I gotta get a little boost from you because we gotta get up and over this high wheelchair and back in. And he was like, got it. And I, I said, okay, ready? One, two, three. And I went to pull and we got about this far off the toilet seat. And I was like, there's nothing there. And I dropped him back down. I said, Clark, hey, here's the game plan on three, right? Um, and so I, I, I did it again. I said, one, two, three. And I went to lift and he got about this far off the toilet again and dropped back down. And I was like, Clark, buddy, how come you're not helping me? And I let go of him and I stepped back and looked him in the eye and he wasn't there. His eyes were wide open. He wasn't breathing. There's no pulse. And in my life, a storm came really fast. And I, I started smacking his face. I'm like, Clark, don't you die on me. You come back. Clark, come back, come back. And I'm screaming and shouting. And I don't know why anybody's not banging on the door and trying to help me because I was loud. And seconds feel like hours. And it might've been five seconds. It might've been 20 seconds. I don't know how long it was, but I'm in a full sweat. And I'm like, Clark, please don't die. Please don't die. And I'm in the back of my mind. I'm like, I don't even know how I would even tell your wife that you died in the bathroom. And in a moment, in the moment I was ready to leave the bathroom and run out and find a paramedic, his eyes blinked. And the very first thing he said to me wasn't go get my wife, wasn't George, hold on to me. It was George, pray for me. He said, I need God who has super powers 
to intercede in this moment and help me. I'm afraid. I need the comfort of Jesus to reach out with his hand and grab me in this moment and hold on tight to me. I need Jesus to pull me into the boat and calm the storms around me. And so I began praying out loud in the name of Jesus, in the bathroom, crowded as, much, as busy as it was. And I laughed today because I'm like, people had to be going like, what's going on in there? Like there's a church service happening inside the men's bathroom. <laughs> and I, I really hope that Clark can see it from heaven today because that's where he's at. He got on a plane to Mexico and I didn't tell his wife what happened. We came out, I was a sweaty mess. She's like, is everything okay? And I said, yeah, just fine, everything's good. And I was worried, they're not gonna put him on a plane. They're not gonna let him go anywhere. And I knew that they wanted to go there and I feel like God had ordained it. And so they get down to Mexico and in the days ahead, God did extend his life for a period of time, which was beautiful to see because he got that special time with his bride. And, but cancer was eating away at his body and his body was fighting with real life and real death. There was the opportunity for fear to win. And there's a moment in Clark's life right before he died that he's in a comatose state and his body is wrestling with life versus death. Death and cancer had its grip on him and was struggling with it. And Clark sits straight up in bed, not knowing what he said. And the words out of his mouth said, death, where is thy sting? Death, where is thy victory? and he laid back down. You see, Clark wasn't afraid. Death didn't scare him anymore. He had a superhero who had superpowers, who had reached out and grabbed his hand and pulled him in the boat. He had the presence of Jesus in his life. He didn't have to be afraid any longer. And Clark's home with God now and uh, has an amazing story of faith. And it's amazing the stories of faith that we hear over time of people who've taken Jesus's hand and said, I'm not gonna do it on my own. I can't do it on my own. I don't wanna live a life of fear. I wanna live a life of what you've put, what you've put before me, God. And they take Jesus's hand, they step into the boat. We see stories like Todd Beamer in 9-11 yeah. had no fear. Death doesn't consume me. I'm not worried about the environment because my eyes are fixed on Jesus and he storms a cockpit door to save thousands, potentially thousands of lives. We see the story of Cassie Burnell, the Columbine girl, the, the famous story that the gunman puts a gun to her head and says, do you believe in God? And when she said yes, he pulled the trigger and killed her. Um, months afterwards, there was huge controversy because other eyewitnesses said that never happened. And so the mom says, like, it may have never happened, but here's what I know is that two years before that, Cassie went to a youth retreat and at the youth retreat, she reached out for Jesus's hand and she stepped into a boat and her life as a child of mine began to radically change and I saw something different. And two years before a gunman put a gun to her head and pulled the trigger, she said to her mom, mom, could I transfer out of a Christian school and go to a public school because I wanna have a life that represents who Jesus is to the world. And so it doesn't matter whether she said, whether the gunman asked her whether she believed in God, because she did believe in God. And it was her faith in God that placed her inside of a classroom with the courage to face a gunman who put a gun to her head and pulled the trigger. She had no fear. 
There are people around the world today worshiping in churches that, are, that know that there are people that are trying to blow up their buildings. In Egypt on Palm Sunday, just over a year ago, they, they blew up some churches and killed 47 people. And I have friends in Egypt. I called them, I said, hey, are you okay? And they're, they're like, okay, about what? And I said, the bombs went off today. And they're like, yeah, the bombs go off every day. And I said, aren't you afraid of bombs? And they're like, no, we have Jesus. Death doesn't scare us. If we die, we get to heaven faster. And so Jesus came to take our hand. Jesus came to be our comfort and our peace. And the question is, is the storms in your life, are they big right now? Has there been a moment where you've taken Jesus's hand and said, I wanna get in the boat. I wanna have peace. I wanna have comfort. And if you've never had that opportunity, today is the day that you can do it. Just like Peter had to have courage and humility to say, I can't do it on my own. I need someone to do for me what I can't do for myself. Let me pray for us. God, we come before you today and we are thankful for the story of Jesus. God, thank you for sending him down here to earth and for the power that you gave him to heal people and to perform miracles and, and uh, to walk on water and to use this story as an opportunity for us to reflect on our lives of Peter who stepped out on water and let the circumstances of life and the environment around him be so great that he was overwhelmed with fear and anxiety. The separation from God was his greatest fear. And that Jesus, in the moment where he cried out for help, you didn't wait for a few seconds, you didn't see how deep he could sink into it, but you immediately reached out your hand and you grab him and you pull him up and you walk him into the boat. And as soon as he's in your presence and comforted by you, we see that the storms of, of life calm down, that the winds calm down. And so God, today I'm praying across all of our campus locations, that there are people that are in the midst of the storm. Those circumstances are huge. It may be cancer, it may be divorce. It may be financial troubles. It may be that they're addicted to some other things that they thought would bring them comfort like alcohol or drugs, or it might be a bad relationship that they're hooked on and they can't say no. And so God, I pray in this moment right now that they would just reach out to you and say, God, I can't do it on my own. I need you. Save me. Pray the simple prayer that Jesus, I've been trying to do it on my own too long. I've been trying to accomplish too much. I've been trying to control the environment. I've been, I've been trying to work harder, do things better. But every time I put my own effort into it, I see less and less results. And I know that I can't overcome my separation from God, my biggest fears of mortality, of, of hopelessness on my own, that I need hope in Jesus. I put my faith and trust in you. I reach my hand out. And Jesus, right now, you're grabbing my hand and pulling me into the boat. And that brings me life eternal. God, I pray for those who are believers today who are in the middle of the storm. In 2 Peter 1, it tells us that it's your divine power living inside of us that gives us the strength to live a good life. And I believe there are Christians at all of our New Hope locations watching online today that 
that are struggling in the storm right now and they know you, they're in the boat, but they're letting the environment dictate how they feel instead of keeping their eyes focused on you and feeling your presence and knowing that the power of the ultimate superhero who defeated death, our greatest fear is sitting next to them, dwells inside of them. Lord, that in this moment that they would hold on to you, focus on you, and that the storms of life would go away, the anxieties of life would dissipate, and they would have confidence to live the life that you've given them, that death has no sting, death has no victory, that you are our hope. God, we pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus, amen. 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 All right, can we just celebrate that church?